Hello, I'm Gemma Cray, and in this episode of the Film Ireland podcast, we chat with Irish filmmaker Vivian Dick. Vivian is an internationally celebrated filmmaker and artist who was a key figure within No Wave, a short-lived avant-garde scene in the late 70s in New York. In her latest film, New York Our Time, Vivian returns to New York to compare the past with the present. So um, thank you for chatting with us. New York Our Time was a real art scheme. It's very much so an artistic documentary format um, and it really suits this, this style of documentary. Was this something that you devised for the scheme or something that you had planned for a long time to do? Well, no. It's, it's a difficult, the answer to that is real art is something I'd kind of looked at and thought about over many years but didn't feel quite sort of that I had something for it. Yes, I do. You do think of what you're going to send in, you know, of course, that does it fit the f- format or does it fit the, you know, wh- what they're looking for in some way. And you have to kind of guess at that little bit too. But um, the thing is, I've, I ha- I've was teaching, there was no way I could have done this when I was working even part-time, you know. So, and this is something I had considered doing, but sort of hesitated because... Um, wasn't sure, maybe, you know, but at the same time, um, re- in the last year or so, I've been going over old boxes and rooting out early film and realising I have a lot more archive than I thought I had. So I was able to use that in this film. And the other reason is, as well, in recent years, there's been quite a lot of attention on this period in the late 70s in New York, and I've seen a number of documentaries, and there's been a lot of there've been articles and books, etc., etc., and um, I, everyone has their own take on, a, on a, what, their lived experience and their, their own histories, etc. And I thought I'd have a, a go at it because I was there all through a very interesting period and I was making films and I had a lot of um, materials, not just uh, film, but I had old posters and all kinds of materials. So I thought it would be fun to get in touch with, it, with everyone again as well. What you do very well in this film is straddle the two timelines. So you have this beautiful kind of wistful remembering of, of that era where, you know, it's it's grimy, it's real, it's authentic, it's it's arty. And then mixed with the changes that have happened, which is everywhere, really. And it really is probably why it speaks to so many people at this exact time where gentrification has taken the soul out of so many different neighborhoods where... People are really struggling where artists are really, really struggling to survive and make a living. It's and, much and more create. precarious these days, and it's absolutely true that there's a lot of things in that film that you could apply to here and many other places too, like London or whatever, you know. I, I lived in London for 15 years, a good while. So, yes, it's true. Um, I mean, I kind of see it at like two slices of time, like a layer, a sediment of time in the 70s, and one now, you know. and it's, um, I don't, I didn't want it to be nostalgic, that's for sure, you know, it's just, you're there and you're in your 20s and you're just, you don't really see this as being a moment that'll pass when you're in the middle of it, you know what I mean? And you get that sense of the time passing when you see the people as they are now. Many of them are still kind of connected to what they were doing at that time, whether it be music or whatever, photography, you know, still doing... The sa- still interested in the same work or the same endeavours, creative endeavours. And, um, of course, the city physically has changed, become so much busier, and 
a lot of the small businesses have closed down and it's much, much harder for young people to get a foothold and, and to, yeah, it's much, it's much more difficult for them to live there now, you know. So, yeah, the film does cover that ground along with other things as well. And when you were going into it, when you had to say put in your pitch deck together for real art and and kind of wrote down your description of what you wanted, was when you came back, were you surprised by anything or was it, or, you know, did the conversations go very much how you expected them to or was it an exploration for yourself? Yeah, well, yeah, we had certain themes that we were suggesting we might cover, but I mean, the way I like to work with people is. Um, to have enough trust with the person so, so that they, there's a kind of an intimacy there and they're comfortable with me. And um, I don't have a lot of experience doing that kind of interview documentary, but so um, a lot of the time they were just talking to me as if I was just there visiting them, more or less. You know, it, it, I think you do get a kind of... Uh, there is a kind of familiarity there or, or something which comes across in the film. And um, perhaps, you know, so I had fantastic access from, from that point of view because these were people that I knew well, you know, and that I'd been in touch with over the years too. The visuals are, are very striking. Do you, working with a DOP on a project like this, do you go in going, I want to create a certain aesthetic, I have a big plan, or is it, you know, let's get things that are beautiful that speak to you in the moment? How yeah. does it work? Well, I've been making films a long time and I tend to do certain things. I tend to mix, um, say, if I'm working with something documentary or observation, I tend to mix that with other things like performance or like something abstract. I tend to mix different um, types of filmmaking. And you have that in this film as well. And the other thing about the shooting of it is that I worked with Declan Quinn, who I know for many, many years, and actually met Declan shortly after, just when I first arrived back from New York in what, in 82 or something, we were living next door to each other on Blessington Street and we also worked together in um, Ralph Mines teaching on the communications course. So um, Declan and I have, we don't see each other very often but we have touch base often over the years, you know what I mean, like visiting him in there or whatever and I was aware of all the work he was doing and thought he'd be great, it'd be great if he could shoot this. And he knows my work, and he's such a great um, cinematographer in this. I mean, it was fantastic working with him because he sticks with it. He's really, um, he's such a hard worker, and so um, he's so in tune with things, you know. It's it's very, uh, I was there in the shot some of the times, or more more at the edge of, of shot, so I wasn't able to see the frame. So there had to be a real trust there with what he was doing. So we kind of worked out together. I mean, it started out on the tripod, and that obviously wasn't going to work. It had to be handheld, for example. Most of my work in the past has been handheld, and it worked much better as a way to shoot this film. But he's such a great, um, he's such a great eye, eye, set of eyes, because he looks through the viewfinder, he's watching everything with the other eye, what's coming and going on, this, on the edge, you know, and he, he's very good at that, you know. Even the modern shots, they have this beautiful kind of evocative feeling of the past and you get like a nice, I, you, I know you said not nostalgia, but there is like an element of, of finding the beauty because a lot of those areas have become so kind of big, solidified. Yeah, they've lost that kind of authentic 
soul to them but you really have found that in in these areas yeah well new york for me has such a history and there's such a lot of 19th century buildings there you know all the ironwork the grid work all those um old tenement buildings like where where we were living and they're all still there so it has that and then these super modern buildings that are very uh postmodern and glass and reflectant and sh sharp and kind of no sense of the human about them at all. So we, sh we shot those buildings as well, or at least the top part of them, purposely leaving people out, you know, as a kind of a, as a kind of a, almost like a look towards the future or, or a possible future or perhaps maybe a comment on um, the way post-capitalism is going as kind of looking dehumanized and looking... Um, kind of scary in, in some ways, you know, because of people feeling concern about who, about it, the gap, the, the un unequalness of power and also about the future, where, for, for example, with robots, all that sort of thing, people feeling they're getting smaller and smaller, do you know what I mean, and less and less kind of yeah. agency. Even for the younger generation, and what I do like as well is you do talk to the younger generation that are there you see you know that you found the community in those areas still and how they interact with the spaces but what happened really was that there were um some of my friends had children so who are now the age we were at the time so we got some of them to be in the film and or persuaded some of them would they take part and they, they were brilliant they were really great you know and it was just great to have that voice you know to have those voices there too yeah and how do you feel things have changed over those years? Like, I mean, seeing it sort of as an outsider coming back to Ireland and then seeing it from the outside, do you think that has given you a different perspective to the people that have lived there? You mean the city or the yeah. living yeah, there? The, the, the life, life and the, the artistic community. Yeah, well, and the, the thing is the whole artist community ha is no longer in Manhattan. It's moved out to, even. it's even difficult in Brooklyn to get a foothold now the rents have become so high. So what's happening with young people is that they're moving off to live in other places like Detroit or Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, those kind of places uh, where you can find a place, to, you know, somewhere to live. They're moving to other centres, you know. It's, it's inevitable. J just like a lot of, of uh, creative people in Dublin headed to Berlin t 10 years ago. It's the same thing. And that'll always happen, you know, because if you are spending all your time struggling to make ends meet and, and pay the rent and also that, that sense of being insecure as well about where you live. Uh, you can't relax to make any art. I mean, you need to have time to think when you make art. You need to have time to read and to... Um, making something creative re requires um, time to daydream. You, know, you need that. Because if you're constantly, your head's buzzing, you it isn't going to, you're not going to be able to, it isn't going to rise up from the unconscious, you know what I mean, whatever ideas you might have. So it's the Maslow hierarchy of needs where your base security isn't met, that you, you can't yeah, think you, on the next level. I think it's awful for anybody, whether you're creating artwork or not, uh, not to feel, you know, to have that uh, worry about wh where, where you're living. You know, the issue of housing, of course, is probably number one here now because of what's happened here just in, in the last 10 years, you know, and we're kind of been very slow to, to, to do anything about it. It's very slow, isn't it, I'd say. It's been getting worse and worse. I think no matter how much economic growth we have, if it's not being distributed properly, people aren't happy and they're not 
enjoying it if it's not being kind of put back into the community and yeah, especially totally, arts. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's just exactly that. It's the attention paid to the god of economic growth. Like that's the only thing that matters. It is not the only thing that matters. You know, we have to be, we want to be healthy as well. We want to be happy. We want to have relationships. We want to be, have a community. Well, you know, that, that, that makes things work as well, every bit as much as the economic growth. You know, you can't just have that on its own. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. There's been too much, um, it's been um, valued too, too, too much, it seems to me, you know. And you had mentioned that you were teaching quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, did you notice these changes or how they affect your students coming up or any changing shifts? Because you would, you know, have a good few, mm. you'd see the kind of people starting off in their careers yeah. in that area. Yeah, well, certainly, um, I think it's, well, like what I did notice was the difference between expectations of young men and young w- women, that'd be the thing I really noticed, but also there were many concerns about how they were going to live and where they were going to live, even in Galway, it was kind of the same as here, because that's where I was teaching, yeah. And their housing crisis is every bit as bad as, as Dublin's as well, because the space is so That's limited. Right, yeah. This neoliberal stuff means fiscally the only people who are able to become filmmakers who can work for four years for free, who can do that now? Do you know? Like if you're like a young person in your 20s, either you can afford to live at home with your parents and do that happily, and they must have a nice big enough house for you to live in and then also support your training support you while you're going and working for free or working on film sets and i was like no one from working class areas could afford to do that like well it's interesting my story is a little bit different how i w- was making films because i always worked on extremely low budgets and made these films back way back in when i lived in new york i made a lot of films all over a short period and I film simply was, was expensive then as well, the actual film. Well, it was Super 8, so it wasn't. I mean, I was working as God, a waitress, and I was working part-time, and I was still able to make those films, but they were like two-to-one ratio, you know what I mean, the shooting. <laughs> but like, so I had no... I could never have imagined that years later, 40 years later, that the films would still be shown, which they are, they're still shown. Yeah. Never have imagined that. So it is kind of strange how, how, how it goes. I mean, you can... Get the equipment now. You can make a film if you really want to make a film on, with equipment that's readily av- available now and very high quality as well. You know, sound recording and stuff equipment. But so you, um, you know, in a way, um, if you want to try things out, there isn't any excuse really. You know, I mean, I know you need time off and you need that, but I mean, sure. When I was, um, I fin- I did college here. And there was simply no work whatsoever. It was so poor, you know. And worse than that, it was a real male society. There was no work for women except a, a nursing, a teaching, you know. I mean, and I just I fled when I as soon as there I was could. The, the ban as well, the yeah. teaching ban. Like women were even expected yeah. to leave work up, up until yeah. was it the seventies or something. They were expected right. to leave mm. if they got married. You know, it's, it's, it was a very uh, narrow minded sort of place if you were a woman especially it was much worse if you're a woman you know in terms of opportunities except maybe a handful of people like journalists who kind of made made their way in television or um, a few people did as we know them well you know who were who uh, were writing for the Irish Times at the then had their own careers you know and do you think it was kind of going to the states that allowed you to explore those areas like if you were here it wouldn't have been as no, I mean, at least I didn't have that confidence to kind of p- 
push my way here, you know, so it was, seemed to be necessary for me to leave. And I lived in, for, in France for a year, and I lived in Germany for a year before I ever went to the States, okay? And when I went to the States, I felt like I could breathe for the first time. I felt like I was in my element, and I, everything around me was uh, fascinating. Do you know what I mean? It's, it was just like I was young, but everything was new to me. You know, I was coming across all kinds of new ideas and new books and new uh, music and ev everything, which was really feeding me. And, um, and I absolutely can definitely say it's very unlikely I would have started making films, only I landed myself in New York. Yeah, it's such a, like, New York especially in that era was the birthplace for so much. But the thing about New York, you, you really got the feeling about the place even then, and you still do now, but especially then, it was, it was such a, so many immigrants there from so many that had come over different periods after the war, you know, people, Jewish people from Europe, all the, you know, and Ukrainians, Polish, in my neighborhood where I was living, they were Ukrainians, Polish, and, you know, everyone was from somewhere else, it felt like, you know, so it was like, I'd never experienced that be, be, be before. In Ireland, it was such a monoculture at the time, you know. So that was very, that was very interesting to, to me. And it's just, you know, the little apartment I lived in on 9th Street, it was, it, it, um, there was a film made by Beckett called Film, which he did with Buster Keaton. And it takes place in a little apartment just like the one I lived in. I mean, when I saw that film, I recognized everything in it, you know. Oh, it's just like my, what it was like in my little place, you know, same molding, same everything. And yeah, it was, it was, um, it was really lovely for me uh, living there as well because um, it was my first time. I'd come from a big, large family, you know, we never could afford to get my own apartment. Well, there I had my own place. That was so great, you know. You just had the apartment, so basic, and a phone. The phone was also a wonderful thing because in Ireland at that time you had to wait like six months to get a phone. That's, that's fascinating. And do you notice the changes going back and forward in New York? A little bit more leaning with the political changes that have maybe happened more recently? Yeah, you do notice that. I mean, you notice it just in the look of the newer buildings that, that, that are made. You can kind of see it there. But it's also kind of um, because of the mom and pop business have left, have had to leave and it's franchises there, that has made a change. But there's still a lot of the bodegas, you know, the little um, stores run by Puerto Ricans. And quite a, few, a lot of the people have had to move out to other parts of the su su suburbs, you know, or have had to... Um, some of my friends were able to, um, th they had uh, rent-controlled apartments and were able to, their, their children can stay there, you know, can, can live there, but for the most part they've had to move, yeah. They can't afford to get a place in the, the place, in, in the neighbourhood they grew up in, you know. And some of those walk-ups have an awful lot into stairs. I was looking at them in the video. That's right, you forget film. that. When you're, you're younger, like, when you're younger yeah. you don't mind, you know, running, go but just with shopping now, when you, it's and everything up and down the stairs, yeah. Like beautiful sort of tenement buildings, these gorgeous old fittings. Beautiful ironwork, yeah. yeah Bannisters and yeah, really, really attractive. Yeah. I was I was admiring them and I was like, God, like imagine carrying mm. like buggies, kids mm, that's right. stuff up those all the time. That's right, that's right. Like I suppose there's probably a bit of heart health that it yes, encourages, but it's your exercise for the day, exactly. Yeah, but they're beautiful places mm. and it's such a, a beautiful space and, and a sense of community. Do you ever miss it? Or do you go back enough to enjoy it? Um, no, I don't. I did for a while after I left for a good few years. I did miss it. I missed the vibrancy of the life there because it is—it's just different. Has a different kind of a 
the climate's different, you know, and because of the heat and everything, um, it's just is is a different way of being, you know. Because New York, uh, London, where, where I went after that, is much more restrained. But I do like London as well. I grew to get to know London, such an amazing city as well, but it's just different, you know. And I'm here now for the last six years in Dublin, so um, and I and I, and I, I appreciate it. I'm getting to know Dublin now. You know, yeah. Okay. yeah. So it takes a while to get to grow into a place, you know. And the places change. Yeah. Like I think the Dublin oh, yeah. here now is completely different. I knew Dublin in the late in the late sixties. I lived here, so I know what it was like in the past. You know. I think that's what really interests me, and is in this film this sense of ta- of everything changing. You know, all the time, and getting older, and just the sort of strangeness of that. You know. I think that feeling is in the film, do you yeah. think? Yeah, yeah and it, it's a good examination because you look at it through your eyes, through mm. the eyes of the people and mm. then through the eyes of their kids mm. when you give them these different vantage points mm. and look at these kind of these kind of shifts mm. in culture. It's, how long did that take to shoot? Right, well, that was, that was the thing, you know. I mean, the real art thing, it just gives you, you just have a year. And I think they've, they've extended it now to 18 months, so it's really a short time to do a feature-length anything, right? And I had never made a feature-length film about before. Yeah, it's it? ninety. Ninety. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I went there for one. Well, I was a lot of planning, a lot of talking on Skype and the phone, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I went there for one week recce to go around, check every places I would want to film, and then went back one week to shoot back here again for reasons I had to split it like that, other reasons, personal reasons, and then back for one more week to shoot. So just two weeks shoot. Uh, so it was really hit the ground running when you land in New York and nothing going on except the film. I mean, I had to isolate myself from, I just had, everything had to be about the film, you know, but it worked, it was fine. And of course, you don't know like how if something doesn't work out or you're really relying on it and everyone um, being there when they've arranged to be there, otherwise you're really messed up because you can't return the following week to do it, you know what I mean? You have to just, yeah. Or so, someone going, oh, sorry, I'm a doctor. Or someone getting sick, or yeah. yeah. <laughs> someone getting, being unwell. But, you know, so we were lucky in that way. You always take a chance with any film anyway. Things can, things are always going to come out a bit different from what you plan, you know. But on the whole, it was kind of what we planned. And I think I have to say a little bit about the music as well, because the music is a big part of this film. Both the music that we use from the period, and we got, got you know, contacted all these people to get permissions, and the music um, that Martin Wheeler created for the film, I think it's really an important aspect of that film. And he was over there at the time for one of the weeks recording Wild Track and recording all kinds of things on the subway and the streets because he, a lot of his sound is he manipulates Wild Track to create something that is on the borderline between Wild Track and music. So some of the pieces in, the, in there and some of the scenes were created by him, you know, like say that scene on the rooftop that was um, with a purple filter, that's old film, but he did the sound for, for, for that. There was no health and safety up on those rooftops, they didn't have the railings they have now, it was just f- fall down on the street, you know, the overlap of the building and just, you know, it was completely open, do you know what I mean? You could hop from one rooftop to the next. Oh, <laughs> I'm sure you can picture the, um, there's like one bit where, or is it one of your friends are in... Uh, like a pile of rubble and it's just this beautiful footage <laughs> yeah. that's L- Lydia Lunch yeah. and that's a very early piece of film it may have been the first piece of film with her It was, and it, I never used that because I shot two pieces around that time and I used the other piece in an early film called Gary Talks 
that yeah so that was Lydia Lunch and she's at the very at the almost the beginning of the film and she's at the very end when she does that piece to camera oh, yes. yeah that's the same person because she um but like, like you get this the performance in her then but like it just like I was admiring the background as much and you're thinking like it's a wasteland mm-hmm. <laughs> that's right yeah. you get the sense of like that part of it as well where you know like things were really run down back then it was unbelievable how run down it was in some parts, in the, say the South Bronx and in Lower, in, in Manhattan, over in the avenues A, B and C, th- those avenues. It was uh, like images I've seen of Berlin after the war. That's exactly what I was war. thinking. It, was it looked like, like, like yeah. the whole place had been bombed. Yeah, so I mean, I filmed some of that too in some of those buildings in my early work as well. Um, yeah, it was kind of really crazy looking and some of the buildings were occupied by... Um, heroin dealers or whatever and it was a very it was actually quite dicey kind of living I mean there were no cars down there there was nobody down there just people kind of occupying buildings you know what I mean um, but and then some of those buildings got completely well got knocked down some of them got burnt by the owners because they couldn't pay the taxes and they wanted to get insurance on them. And there was so there were a lot of empty spaces that had just rubble just flattened buildings and over, after a couple of years, they got turned into community gardens. So there were a lot of community gardens down around that, that area, and of which some of them are in the film. And people did mo- amazing work to build them up and to plant trees and, you know, re- really nice. And a lot of the Puerto Rican people living there uh, did that also, you know, I mean, um, started that. That's that lovely sense of community. It's yeah. people in a shared space just, making it better. Yeah, that's right. And growing food and growing plants, other flowers and whatever. Oh Fruit God. trees, you know. And making it livable, making kind of... and Because and, I think that when you have such a high population of people living in, in a space, that in itself is incredible. Mm. One of the ladies that you interview in it was talking about it. It's like that sense of community. Mm-hmm where people are friends and people yeah. work together on mm-hmm. projects. Well, we have that here in Dublin now. We have a lot of community gardens that have sprung up in the last few years. I know a few of them, and they're, that's a fantastic thing, you know, and they get a bit of support then, maybe get a little bit of money from the council to for this or that, and, you know, I know a few of the places have been doing really well. And it does bring people together. It is. It enhances the community. It's a place where you can bring children, people can meet, you know, you can have celebrations at Halloween or whatever. So that's what they use. It is the community garden isn't just people digging their, planting their plants. It's more than that. People have barbecues there and meet up on occasion. You know. That's lovely. That's yeah. really nice. Um, and just tell me about the editing process as well. Actually, so you've that was that was a short shoot, but you've a lot to kind of compile together because it's a big history there. Yeah, the editing. Myself and Connie Farrell did the editing together, and um, it. Yeah, we, we just worked at it steadily over like about four months, you know, and just it was like going into work, clocking in at like 8.30, start, you know, we, we just did that every single day. And um, we just, if there's so many different elements, you know, the way with any film, it's all in pieces like a jigsaw puzzle and you have to get it to work together and get it to kind of slot and fit and flow and kind of getting the pace, getting the timing, getting the rhythm. So it's just something you work at and you work at and you work at and then you can see it growing or coming together and the rough bits, you know, you, there's, there's always a solution. There's always a, a way to smooth that bit or, you know, it's just extraordinary. It's an extraordinary thing to do. I really enjoy ed- editing. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And it's as creative as the writing process or, or the shooting the or anything. Or creating yeah. from it, Completely, especially in yeah. documentary. Yeah, you're drawing it out from all this material. Yeah, that's right. And then 
you, you're, you're adding all, like bringing in the music then is a whole other thing, the sound, you know, the sound, working with sound is fascinating too, I love sound, you know, and I think uh, Asa Hand, who did the sound mix, is, fun, is fantastic, we're working with him as well. Seeing that kind of come together then, was there anything if, because it was quite a tight budget for traveling yeah. so much and archive footage and everything? We, we stayed with friends. I mean, we kept it to a minimum. We were like, I was taking the subway. I wasn't taking taxis. Yeah. <laughs> but like, you know, we, we uh, Declan loaned us his car for getting the gear around. You know, we were really being very um, scrupulous about that. You know, I mean, it, it's, it is a low budget. It, it, it uh, would, for something like that, I mean, a lot of real art projects perhaps, or many of them I've seen anyway, are made here and there are yeah. not so many people in them, you know. If it's that you can nearly go out yourself yeah. with your camera and pick up a few shots, yeah. but it's harder to do that. Well, one, yeah. thing, one thing with me is that I'm used to making things on very low budget anyway, so that, that, I think that helped, you know. <laughs> and kind of, uh, yeah, and also it was great working with, um, with still films, both with, with Nikki and with Carla and with Paul, because Paul is... Paul is based in Brooklyn. That was a great help, you know. We putting people up. We shot one of the scenes in his apartment, and he was working as camera assistant, and that was fantastic, you know. As well as doing production work, and and having Nikki and Carla here as well. So that was a great support, a huge support. Yeah, it's great if you can make a film that is like a, you know, you're going on a journey or you're going on a, you know, that they. I'd made shorter films before this. I, I wasn't. I was kind of worried that you know, it was a longer film. I'm going to lose the audience somehow. How can I get this to work? And often my films are quite fragmented. They hop from one thing to another, which this one does as well. But somehow or another, it seems like it works to me anyway. You yeah. stay with it, you know. You're on to the next thing. But it's very organic. In, and yeah. it feels very kind of natural. And it feels like you're at home with friends of a friends watching it as a, as a viewer, which is really nice. And then also getting wrapped up in that very interesting era and noticing change it like it's it kind of it does deliver on a on a bunch of different and just being beautiful and, mm. and sensory in a lot of ways Declan's very good at getting material that's off the cuff you know that's kind of like after after we've shot in adverted commas you know where you're just kind of sitting around or you're pat you know you're just the filming's over he, he shoot he keeps shooting so we're able to use some of those moments as well which which is interesting because there's kind of you can there's a, a line there between this is the film and this isn't the film but we were able to merge that yeah. you know those moments there was a lot of very intimate gestures and mm. stuff that he was catching mm-hmm. that he that i had spotted that he mm-hmm. had got like somebody was mm-hmm. you know like a movement in a hand or mm. something like that and it would be a close-up shot of it but yeah. it would be very I, like again very kind of intimate mm. or very warm mm. to watch and I do think this is something that it, it like this is what this film is it, it feels mm. like you know you're watching it you know these people your premiere was at the Dublin International Film Festival and um, sold out it did indeed and um, it was um, very exciting for it was very exciting for all of us to see it in the cinema I'd seen it you know when we checked it so I was I knew it was okay, that there were no big problems with it. But um, yeah, to see it with an audience is something else, you know. It was well received? Uh, it nice seems to, like yeah. it was, yeah. It certainly, that's what, I, that's what I took from it anyway. From It was, um, yeah. So again, you know, an audience, wherever, where you present a film, the audience really affects the, the reception of the film. I mean, how you see the film is affected by the audience. Very strange how that happens. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it'll be very interesting seeing what happens to it when we get to New York or what happens to it when we show it 
and I'm, I'm kind of, you know, jumping the gun here, London or wherever, <laughs> you know, wherever we take it, you know. But, you know, and I'm looking forward to that, you know. Well, thank you so much for chatting to us. That was a lovely, a lovely film, and we can't wait to see where it screens thank next. You. So. Thank you very much. So thank you for listening and make sure to check out filmireland.net.